1: Happy days are here again, people from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and if our year navigating the vast conspiracy wasn't rocky enough, it seems that our ship is headed right into the iceberg they call the Great Reset. It's no surprise that the Capstone Cabal obsesses over the energetic and economic harvesting of the general population, but the digital age has given them tools to take this obsession to a whole new level of individualized control from deplatforming and social crediting to a new global vaccine and immunity passports. And while the water creeps ever closer to that proverbial boil, many of us are giving too much attention to the simulation of democracy by pre-selected presidential puppets slathered across our TV screens and not doing enough to jam up the gears of the big machine, or even better, building something of our own. Well, that is the focus of today's returning guest, Derek Bros, who not only has a great handle on the challenges ahead, but on actionable solutions to build back better in our own way. He's a prominent activist, journalist, and the founder and CEO of the Conscious Resistance Network, an independent media organization focused on empowering individuals through education, philosophy, health, and community organizing. Derek has also created several great documentaries and is the author of How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State and the Holistic Self-Assessment. He seems to be as passionate and driven as ever since his recent YouTube ban, and I'm psyched to have him back to talk about all the great stuff he's been covering lately. So let's get into it. The man who sees the plan and is happy to lend a hand, the conscious resistor himself. Derek, welcome back to THC.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me on, brother.
1: You got it. Thanks for coming back so soon. We did this back in August and had a great time talking largely about your own story, running for mayor of Houston, and your Finders Cult documentary. And there's just so much going on now. Your finger really has been on the pulse, not only on the problems, but also on better ways to live. We'll get into it, but to kick this off, I have yet to ask really any guest their thoughts on the election, and it's been over a week, but I'm going to ask you because I'm so in agreement with what you've been saying lately. Too many alternative thinkers have been shooting up with that QAnon hopium. Too many people in general have been investing their energy into the presidential election results, and I'm sure it's going to be a back-and-forth battle until January to keep the people in an emotional state of instability but talk to us about how you view this circus and why it's a bad use of our attention to be so focused on it.
2: Yeah, well, I like the way that you put that there that I do think it's a bad use of our energy and our time. And obviously, that's a valuable, scarce resource. And with everything going on, Great Reset, Dark Winter, all the crazy things that everybody's kind of watching or preparing for or hoping to avoid, our time and energy are more important than ever. So giving away that time, energy, and really, I think your spirit to that system, it's detrimental. But also, I think it's just on a practical level, detrimental and wasteful, because for one, anybody who's paid attention, I'm sure to your guests in your interviews, or just watched Trump's actions, not listened to his tweets, but you know, actually judging by the character of his actions, has seen that he is, while at best, sometimes a wild card, or maybe a you know an interesting diversion from the norm but he's still representing the same people the same predator class and as with we're already seeing with the potential Biden coming in if that is indeed what happens you know it's going to be more of the same it might maybe speed up a little bit but for my mind that's nothing new because every every election, every president back and forth, Republicans and Democrats, it progressively gets worse. You know, they argue about abortion and immigration and a few other issues and accuse each other of being fascist or communist or Nazis or racist or whatever it may be. But the wars go on, the surveillance grows, the debt grows, the economic theft continues, and the technocracy of course is growing and, you know, so all these things are marching forward. And I actually just put out a new article yesterday on the last American Vagabond that just kind of examines Biden has announced that he has a 13-member coronavirus task force that he's going to implement if he does indeed get into the office. Just to kind of show people, like, hey, this is nothing new. Don't – like, the people who are having hope that, oh, Biden is going to fix things that Trump broke, you know, the kind of people who are coming from those angles can see that – look at who Biden's connected to. You should have skepticism, at least, of all these different people connected to the Gates Foundation, the Rockefellers, Council on Foreign Relations, the CIA's venture firm, Ancutel, and others – you know, should have skepticism about that. But also what I make clear in the article though is that this is just a continuation of the same sort of swamp that Trump had with the Operation Warp Speed and that he currently has. So it's not like, oh, you know, gas, Biden's gonna be much worse. It's like he's continuing the same relationship. So yeah, ultimately I think it is a diversion, it's a distraction. To me, it's only relevant insofar as we're talking about the realities of dark winter and potential for some kind of unrest or a false flag of some kind to happen in the coming weeks or so as this saga kind of plays out of like, oh, Trump's going to fight in the court. Will he leave in the office? And Biden's already laying plans and just, you know, they're kind of setting the stage for some things that we've already seen predicted and other simulations and, you know, of the election. And so that's like, to me, the only reason I'm really even paid any attention because I definitely have been giving it more time than I would care to, but it's been kind of with a microscope lens, sort of examining the words they're saying and looking for cues or any signs or anything that'll make it helpful for me to try to Wake people up on both sides because, like you said, some people are really buying into the QAnon, Trump, opium, you know, wait, hold on. This is a secret operation. He's doing this to expose people. It's 4D chess. Disinformation is necessary. All this kind of stuff. They're still holding on to that narrative and they're probably, I guess, going to hold on to the bitter end. And then you have people on the more left-leaning, or maybe they're not even left, but they just don't like Trump, so they voted for the Democrats. And a lot of those people now really feel like they just saved the world. You know, they brought decency back to America and everybody can rest now. And I think that's probably even more dangerous than Trump because it's going to create a situation where the quote unquote other side is going to be willing to basically accept anyone well as they did with Biden. You know, nobody was really excited about Biden prior to this, accept anyone in that office and pretty much accept anything from the Biden-Harris administration so long as it's not Trump it could be the exact same actions as Trump. I've actually been kind of working on some funny memes and things I'm gonna put out that basically try to confuse people and say like, oh my God, did you hear Trump did this? And actually, wait, hold on, that was Joe Biden, or, you know, already kind of just sort of showing the overlap between these two. So, you know, that's what really concerns me as far as election, like I don't give a shit if it's Trump or if it's Biden, like I'm gonna keep fighting for the same things no matter what, and keep exposing the same things. And that's why I put that article out to say like, look, here's the truth about Biden that we're already seeing connections to Gates. And of course, Trump's Operation Warp Speed was headed by a big pharma vaccine exec that also has ties to Gates. And, you know, it's the same swamp. So ultimately, to me, it's more diversion. The paths are maybe going to look a little differently. But ultimately, these people have invested billions and billions of dollars into what they're calling the Great Reset and, you know, kind of redesigning the global economy and just the world in general, and investing in the technocracy that a president is just such a minor player on that scale, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. The whole election cycle, there was no platform to help anyone. It was just like, I'm not that guy. That guy is worse. And <laughs> how can anyone be passionate about someone when they offer no solutions or no plan for the vice grip that a lot of people feel like they're in economically, the decay of so many things In our society that have been neglected for so long, it's silly to be so passionate. But a lot of people that would listen to an alternative show like this, they see Trump out there without a mask and they equate that to resisting the COVID-1984 protocols. But that's just not true. We talked before about how he pulled funding from the World Health Organization, but then gave over a billion dollars to the Bill Gates-backed Gavi Vaccine Alliance donating our tax dollars right along with several million coming from the Rockefeller Foundation. And that's not all, right? I mean, you mentioned Operation Warp Speed. Talk to us about that as an example or other things we see that Trump really is not resisting this COVID-1984 stuff. It really is the same plan because even though Biden's claimed uh, that he won this election or the media has claimed that he won it, I'm not so sure we won't see a serious back and forth between now and January. And I just want people to know that regardless, like the stage is already set and Trump is doing things like this Operation Warp Speed that show us that the agenda is coming regardless of what president we have.
2: Yeah, so Operation Warp Speed is a big part of it. And for those who are not aware, that was what they call a public-private partnership, which is basically just corporatism, like you mentioned, kind of taking tax dollars and partnering with corporations and they say it's in the public interest, but usually the corporations just get really rich and the investors get rich and there's a lot of corruption going on and operation warp speed is no different. Essentially it's a military operation, what it comes down to. And basically they're bringing together the DOD. They're bringing together people from DARPA. They're bringing together people from Google and of course, people connected to the Gates foundation. And it's a massive operation that they announced back in May. And the guy that Trump appointed to it, his name's Monsef Slaoui. He's a former executive at GlaxoSmithKline. He also sits on the board of the company Moderna, or he did until recently when he was kind of pressured to quit. And Moderna is one of the companies that is working on the COVID vaccine, particularly the mRNA vaccine, which is, I'm sure some of your audience is familiar with, the vaccine that actually affects you on the DNA level. And that people are pretty concerned of where that could go and how that could affect us long term. So he sits on the board of one of the six leading companies for the COVID-19 vaccine. So no conflict of interest there. And then several other people connected to it are just, again, the same swamp that I was kind of describing with Biden. And to me, that's one of the most obvious examples. And then you sort of mentioned the what we talked about before about Trump claiming that he was going to pull out of the World Health Organization. But again, as I said in our last interview, that doesn't happen until April 2021. So if he's not in office, it's not going to happen anyways. It was just all talk. You know, a lot of things seem to work out that way. And then, of course, even if it does happen, he basically went and gave even more money to Gates through Gavi. And Gavi is a huge part of the global vaccine propaganda, as well as pushing the idea that anti vaxxers should be censored and potentially even arrested. So, in my mind, well, one thing first before we go any further, what I've noticed, and I've noticed this from the Trump, and I mean, before the Trump administration, at least during the Obama administration, it's probably been true for every single puppet to come into office and their cult followers. But with Obama, after a couple of years or even just a couple of months when he started appointing banksters to it, people like myself and others were saying, Hey, look, guys, you wanted hope and change. But look, this guy is involved with the same people. And it was, well, just give him time. Let's let him get into office. And then he got into office and it was sort of like, well, you know, let's wait and see what he does. Or in the case of Obama, it was like, Hey, he's the first black president. Let's kind of keep that down. Let's not be too critical because, you know, we don't want to harm the legacy of the first black president. I mean, I heard just all kinds of stupid arguments like this. Then all the way into the second term, which by that point, it was way clear that Obama was just more of the same, but people made the same arguments they make now. It's like, yeah, but he's better than the other guy. So we'll take him for four more years. And my point here is that when you pull out these criticisms and you point out these things to people in, in some cases, it's like they ascribe all powerful all knowing god like powers to whatever cult they 're following, whether that's Obama or trump, this person's taking down the deep state. they can do anything oh this person's literally saving the world, whatever it may be, but then when you're critical of them, it's like all of a sudden this person doesn't have power it's like no that's not actually Trump, you know well he doesn't make all the decisions or these other you know it's just like they want to have it both ways, right in my mind, a president clearly is a powerful position even if it's not the top position at the top of the pyramid it's still very people have influence and control because of that and you can wield that trump clearly likes to wield that to me if he was truly staying up against this he would be making bold statements about staying up against the vaccines or just saying like hey we're not going to make this mandatory like you know putting a real hard line down it not sort of being vague or kind of having other people make references to the potential that People who don't get vaccinated will be protected or whatever. And I do know somebody actually sent me an article from the other day. I hadn't seen it that like right before the election or even I think after the election, maybe Trump said something along the lines of we're not going to make it mandatory. You know, people will have a choice. And somebody was trying to share that with me, like, see, look, he's fighting against the covid nonsense and he's fighting against Operation Warp Speed. And I mean, you gotta use critical thinking. The guy had had 10 months, eleven months of this whole thing to come out strong, and instead he chooses a couple of days before the election to say that. I mean, it's clear to me that's trying to maybe pacify his base or just make sure he gets those extra vaccine skeptic voters, those soccer moms who are concerned about vaccine that, oh look, see, Trump said it. That sounds better than Biden who prefers masks. And the other thing is, just one final note here, is like just in the last couple of days as we're recording this. I think it was yesterday actually Pfizer announced that they had 90% effective vaccine which of course like that's a lie the way they're doing the test it's actually a lot lower of a number that 90% doesn't mean what people think it means but you had Trump promoting that and saying big news stock market's going up new vaccine on the way great news and just so okay you got him celebrating the vaccine that it's coming which you know maybe still he would let it be it wouldn't go for something mandatory or whatever But he's clearly promoting it. And then on the flip side, you have like Biden going, yeah, the vaccine is good news, but there's still a dark winter on the way. So like, as far as I'm concerned, they're both just playing these different roles. And then again, as I mentioned earlier, the technocracy doesn't care about the president. The predator class doesn't care about the president. So even if Trump or Biden or whoever came out and said like, look, we're not going to make it mandatory in the sense that they're not going to put a gun to your head and bring cops to your house to make sure that you take the shot they're already talking about and floating in mainstream publications the idea that people's health care should go up if they don't get vaccinated the idea that you know you can't travel you can't work your kids can't go to school all these kinds of things so they're going to use social engineering to basically lock people in the people who aren't prepared who aren't off the grid or out of the control system the people who aren't kind of forward thinking and you know trying to think about this ahead of time are going to end up being sucked into that and so that system which is a part of the great reset is coming no matter what Trump or Biden does. Now, I think the only thing that can stop it is us, like the individuals that, you know, that I don't mean to say like, hey, we're manifesting the reality, because I do think that there's an opportunity for us to do something better, what me and some friends have started to call the greater reset or the people's reset, which is an idea that we're trying to really get together and get it to be cohesive. So I do think we can determine it. But as far as presidents go, those plans are going to roll forward no matter what Cult leaders in there.
1: <laughs> well said. Yes, they've been talking about how the vaccine won't be mandatory, but it will be heavily, quote unquote, incentivized, which means limiting the resources and movement and freedom of people who don't take it. That's what incentivized means. And this is a giant agenda by the technocracy. They're not going to let something as arbitrary as a presidential election get in the way of it. And when it comes to the plans being rolled out in response to this second wave, let's say, you've been talking about things that a lot of other people are missing, and a big one of those things is quarantine camps, much like the FEMA camps people were speculating about several years back, but this is straight from the CDC's website, right? Tell us about this.
2: Yeah, so this one is. I've actually been getting, as you can imagine, like when you start talking about things like this, you get just the kind of knee jerk, you're crazy. Even among, I would say, the truth or kind of conspiracy culture, some people are, I think, skeptical to believe that these plans could be put in place. But as you mentioned, the link that I found, which was sent to me through a couple of listeners, was taken directly from the CDC's website. And actually, I did a video on this recently, but I realized since then, I might, I think I'm going to do a second video on this, actually. And so I'll sort of, give you the video first basically Um, (laughs) because the video is basically going to be you know let's fact check my previous video since some of you are claiming that this isn't real because actually when I went to go look at the CDC document on the website and I'll send that link to you so you can include it for people to see themselves there's actually another page that I didn't even go over in my video which makes it even more clear that it's specifically focused on COVID because I had some people trying to tell me that I was being crazy and and I was wrong this actually just talks about refugees and how to handle COVID and refugees? Well, first of all, if the CDC is not an international organization, like the CDC is based in the United States, it's a domestic disease prevention or whatever they claim to be, but it's not an international, it's not the United Nations. So why would the CDC be talking about refugee camps and in international settings or whatever, right? So that doesn't hold water. But again, when I looked at the document again, because I got a couple of those comments and I was like, all right, let me go do my due diligence. Let me make sure I didn't, you know, miss see something or see something that I wanted to see. I wasn't really there. So I'm looking at it right now and it's under Global COVID-19 Coronavirus Disease at the CDC website and it does not anywhere at all say the word international that it's talking about international settings. And then, so the one I originally was looking at on my video is called Operational Considerations for Humanitarian Settings, which I still do believe is talking about the domestic population they might be trying to talk about it, you know, humanitarian settings, but that's the euphemisms. They call torture enhanced interrogation. Humanitarian setting could be the code word for concentration camp or something. But right above that one, I actually found another form of this document and it's called operational considerations for community isolation centers for COVID-19 and low-resource settings. I mean, I don't know how much more clear that could be than that. And this one was actually updated more recently as recent as September 10th, 2020. So it is specifically talking about COVID and it's talking about the United States and it's talking about communities and what they label as high risk individuals. And they describe a couple different situations. One is like, I'm sure they're going to have some barometer, probably like the you know the whole terror alert thing, <laughs> just like with the lockdowns, like, oh, we're going back into green or red or whatever. It's all similar, but they're going to have some way to measure what Your risk level is, and this will probably be done through an immunity passport, most likely through the Common Pass, which is being promoted a lot lately, and it's funded by the World Economic Forum and the Rockefeller Foundation. They will probably have you using some sort of immunity passport. And my guess is that if your temperature goes too high, or the app or the device, the wearable device, they're working on those as well, tells them that your biology is off, then it would potentially alert somebody and then. The first step is if you're a low risk, you can isolate and quarantine in your own house with your family. And there's all these different rules that they have for how your family should act and how often they should see you and just all that kind of stuff. And then the next level describes like the neighborhood and it talks about neighborhood isolation centers and quarantine centers and how many people those can hold. And then they talk about beyond that, like if I guess if you're even more of a a big risk, it's like they got to take you further away and they take you to regional isolation or community quarantine centers. And so these documents just describe that whole process. I mean, it specifically mentions, like, separating children from parents. It talks about isolating, you know, the elderly, which obviously is a more at-risk population, which to me, honestly, and I'll say, like, again, this doesn't say this on the CDC website, so this is me adding a little bit of speculation just to make that clear. But I think knowing everything we know, I really, really suspect that if these Isolation centers and quarantine centers do go live in 2021, which is what it appears to be. We have them popping up in Canada. They're already in New Zealand. They're already in Australia. There's people talking about finding information in other countries that I've seen. If these things do go live, I would not be surprised if a lot of old people are killed. And I don't mean like, you know, the doctor comes over and chokes them, but they put them in situations where they're more likely to get sick or to get each other sick or things like that because... We've already seen some of the crazy things that have happened in New York and elsewhere with the nursing homes and stuff. So I don't know. Something about this feels clearly not about keeping people safe.
1: Yeah, there are some really creepy parts, like they talk about the shielding approach, which I believe is where they're saying within the home, you're going to need to have a quarantine room for people that they've determined are immunocompromised or of a certain age. And they're going to be checking in on that to make sure that within your own home, you're not interacting with like your aging parents or something like that. They talk about green zones, which they basically equate to the public spaces where everybody has been cleared to enter. So, yes, the immunity passport, temperature checks. You know, let's ignore the fact that there's a thousand reasons you could have a temperature that are still in existence outside of COVID-19. But these like public square areas where they can say that within this barrier, everybody has been cleared, which means they're going to be tracing everybody. It means that if you don't take the vaccine or you're rejecting any of this stuff, you can't go into those areas. Well, what's going to be in the green zone? Probably our grocery stores and stuff like that. So. It really does start to make me uh, get a little bit anxious, you know. I've done this show for a long time, but nothing has ever been as in your face as some of these things. And it's not to be hyperbolic, but we're trying to decode the kind of stuff that is written in plain sight, but using less polarizing language. And that's just the way they talk. It's that corporate political speak. But when you read between the lines, it does not sound... Very good at all. And, of course, you made this mini-documentary, The Darkest Winter. It's very good. It goes over the simulations that we've talked about with guests like Whitney Webb, Event 201, Crimson Contagion, Clade X. And so this is something I wanted to ask you about because this little mini-documentary you put together, it is a great resource to present to our friends and family who are not on board. But at the same time... When I've tried to show my non-conspiratorially minded friends and family something like this and point out that they've been running these simulations for a long time, they say, well, what should the CDC and the World Health Organization be doing if not planning for a pandemic? And I can understand from their perspective, if you don't have that inherent skepticism of people in power, A lot of regular folks just see those simulations as these organizations doing their jobs. How do you counterpoint people when you get a response like that?
2: Yeah, that's a pretty common one that I've heard myself as well. And like you said, if you don't have the background of research that a lot of us do have and have spent years and, you know, sleepless nights working and researching and (laughs) trying to put these pieces together, then it's kind of hard to drop that all on somebody who hasn't even done that 101. And of course, inevitably, once you start trying to explain that, you're going to come off and they're going to treat you like, you know, a conspiracy theorist. But the fact of the matter is that if you don't understand that even before 9-11, going back as far as the Oklahoma City bombing in 1995, and I'm sure we can find examples prior to that, There have been simulations and exercises that tend to coincide with major world events. Like I said, the Oklahoma City bombing, 9-11, major school shootings or other mass shooter events, the Boston bombing that just so happen, as you know, to coincide with drills, simulations, exercise, sometimes taking place on the same day right nearby where the event takes place or sometimes days, weeks, months prior and again sometimes in in a similar location or and often the details aren't perfect of course right like we watch a simulation the simulation talks about flying planes in the buildings or something for example but maybe all the details aren't fully on right or they run a simulation like event 201 and they simulate what could happen if there's a coronavirus pandemic that sweeps the world but in their version of it it came from pigs and they call it caps and you know i mean it's like slight differences or it started in this country or whatever it may be but the point is that clearly the global elite the predator class like to put this information out there they they run simulations and it could be as simple as like they're trying to see how we can respond and i think at the point we're at now though they also have access to artificial intelligence and algorithms where i think they're literally probably feeding in all the data that they've gathered from everybody via facebook and google and everywhere else And feeding that into their AI computers and essentially getting out like as simple as a little program out of these are the scenarios that are most likely to produce the results you want. These ones could result in these responses, literally having it mapped out. So I think that's a part of it, but also on the more esoteric spiritual plane that these folks are, I think, putting their plans out as obvious as they can be because you could say it's part of their religion or part of their ritual that they have to put it out. And there might even be just a little bit of smugness of just kind of putting it right in people's faces. And like you said, so many things that are blatant now more than they've ever been, not to get too off track, but one example of that is this recent trailer for this movie songbird that I'm sure you've already come mm-hmm. across. Mm-hmm. That is just insane. Like, I mean, it's clearly, yes, it's a Hollywood movie. And again, we talked to somebody about this from the normie world and they say, well, that's Hollywood, man. It's just, you know, Hollywood doing a weird take on some of you paranoid conspiracy theorists or whatever, you know, you could take that point of view. You could argue that. But again, I think that these things are meant to be put in front of us to sort of show us the plan, show us the game and on a subconscious level, kind of planting the seed in people's minds. And that movie specifically describes everything that we're sitting here warning about. They show somebody who's traveling and is like the cops are pointing the guns at him and he's like, hold on, hold on, I'm, I'm immune. And he shows some like wristband, you know, so it could be a wristband. It could be a QR code something like that. You know, I actually, while we're sitting here recording this, had somebody send me an article that just came out, how Ticketmaster plans to check your vaccine status for concerts. So, I mean, there you go. It's another way that they're going to be implementing this. So this movie and these different simulations, they show us some of the plan, you know, and I know I kind of got off track with the question, but I think basically the point is that like, it's hard to convince people if they're going to take that sort of perspective because again if you read the great reset you look at the website it all sounds like yeah okay well like let's create a more equitable just world let's yeah we should you know have driverless cars and all these great things and they understand psychology they understand marketing and how that can affect and control the mind so they've done a great job of convincing people that this is all for their own good and also kind of disguising it in flowery nice language that the average person especially somebody who doesn't have an inherent skepticism or mistrust of authorities is going to only hear the best and feel like, Oh my God, this utopia sounds great. So that's part of what we're battling is that people do have a trust of the authorities. And even if they don't have a trust of the authorities, they might not really fully understand how deep this whole thing goes.
1: Mm -hmm. Very true. And just by the logic of the vaccine, it's like, if you get it, Then you should be able to go to a concert with a thousand people who don't have it, you know, because you're immune. That's the whole point. Why'd you let them inject you with something if you're still at risk of the virus? So by their own logic, it's just really frustrating to me. But the education phase has been a huge challenge because our conventional friends and family are just not open to these things. When I point out the 99 percent survival rate, they respond with an article about scary long term effects like lung damage and mental illness. If I point out that Fauci himself said masks don't work, then they throw out stuff like, well, we know more now than we knew in March. And it really does just come down to that fundamental belief that the leaders are doing their best to help. And, you know, obviously other people like us maybe don't have that opinion. But before we get too deep into this, let's talk about freedom cells. I think we drove home that this stuff is coming no matter what, and it's time to do something about it. I've been saying that the cost of participating in society is going to get too high. And so I want their resistance to be strong because if they kick everyone out of the party, then it's easier to have a party of our own. So the more people we have that will resist a vaccine, the more people we have to build something outside of the system with. And freedom cells are a big part of that, right? Yeah. So did we touch on freedom cells in the last interview at all? I think we did a little bit, right? We did, but uh, I saw several comments from people who were familiar with your work that said we didn't do it justice. We didn't talk about it enough. And so let's throw in Freedom Cells or if there's any other similar tools that people should use for trying to build something outside of the system.
2: No, absolutely. Okay, cool. I just wanted to see what I shared last time, but definitely. So if you're focused on solutions and you're hearing this conversation, clearly the people who come to your podcast, man, they enjoy being informed and you touch on such a wide variety of important topics which I think is crucial. And I think your audience, like yourself, it sounds, are increasingly becoming aware of of the necessity for solutions. And, And I think that's kind of reflective of the overall, for the most part, growing truther, conspiracy community, whatever you want to say. Because I think I told you last time, and this is only more evident, here we are now sitting in November, that the Freedom Cells website and just the concept in general has exploded exponentially since... I've been promoting it for about five years. And I first learned about it from a friend who was promoting it, I think, a year before me. So maybe five or six years of giving talks about this and sharing the idea and building the website and just all these kind of things. And in the last year, since we've kind of revamped and relaunched the website, we now have 5,500 members on the website from all around the world and different cells forming different groups. And the essential idea is that people who are looking to break free or to be able to survive and not just survive and kind of scrape by, but I mean thrive, continue to live the wonderful lives that we all enjoy or hope to enjoy. If you see the technocracy coming and you see the great reset and the dark winter and a lot of these different plans, it has become increasingly clear and I hope it is becoming more clear for more people that being able to live a free life the way we want to is not going to be possible under their system. And you can either just continue to sit by and, you know, enjoy and listen to these podcasts and do nothing. And then before you know it, you can't go to a concert without showing your vaccine status, or you can't go to the grocery store and all the things that we were just mentioning. Or you can begin to be proactive, start taking steps to make sure that you and your loved ones are going to be taken care of and able to help yourself no matter what rises in the society around you. And part of that is to Work with your neighbors, and that might not necessarily be your next door neighbor, and it might not even be the people in your specific neighborhood or your community. You might have to, you know, drive a little bit down the road to find that like mind in your community. But the goal is that we're using this Freedom Cells concept and our website freedomcells.org to encourage people to connect to build these groups of eight individuals, seven to eight to nine, you know, in that range. Eight is ideal, and we have some literature and studies behind that, and different people who've done research on group dynamics and why that number is valuable but the goal is basically even if you don't have eight people if you got two people three people four start where you can find the people that are nearby you create a orlando freedom cell or whatever you want to call it some people give them creative names and start hosting meetings start getting to know each other start seeing what are your goals? What would you like to do? Maybe everybody in the group wants to make sure they have a backup supply of food for a couple of months so you all start working on that together and forming your emergency bags. Whether that's for economic collapse or just for a weather emergency, it really could be for anything. The goal for me is to just be prepared. You know, there's been so much propaganda put towards people who are prepared, you know, the idea of like a doomsday prepper, right? So it's kind of looked down upon or it's almost like a derogatory term, you know, but when you really think about that, it's just about being prepared and every one of our ancestors and our, uh, you know, the people who've come before us made it to where they were and made sure that we were here by being prepared and thinking ahead what was coming. And I think we've really lost that in a lot of ways. So freedom cells is a way to encourage individuals to get their shit together and to start taking care of themselves, getting some backup supply of food, learning, maybe, maybe you as an individual, but also yourself together decide that self-defense is important. So you guys go take a self-defense class together, or you start taking Taekwondo together, or whatever it may be, not only is that a team-building exercise, but it's going to help you in that goal of self-defense, or maybe you guys are into firearms, and you start doing firearm training, going to the gun range, and things of that sort. Maybe your group is really hyper-focused on growing food, which everybody should be, and you know wants to learn more about permaculture, and so you start, Watching documentaries together and doing research together, or sharing different tips together. Maybe you go volunteer to community garden together. So this is your core team, your tribe of people that you can develop skills, share ideas and resources. And of course, everybody in that group as well is going to have resources and skills to offer. So maybe some guy's super, you know, invested in crypto and, and educated on that front. He can give like a crypto skill share and help everybody get set up to have wallets that are actually decentralized and private and outside of the banking system or maybe it could be silver whatever it could be maybe one of the members is you know an expert at primitive building, so they teach everybody else in the group that the idea is that the knowledge and the power is diffused among the group and that it's not there's not one central leader or one central person that is if they leave or whatever that the group falls apart now that's the first part that's what my buddy, John Bush, who's been helping me kind of promote this concept of the last few years calls like the inner cadre, that's your main core group. And then from there, the idea would be as everybody's building these individual cells locally in their communities, which is already happening, we're at that stage now. We have, like I said, 5,500 people on the website. We've got maps where you can search to find individuals within 5, 10, 50, 100 miles of you. You can search the other map which is specifically for cells and that's where people are creating their groups. And we've had people call them hives, hubs, circles, cells, pods, whatever. The name doesn't really matter, it's the concept. But you can use the maps to find people, to connect with them, and then of course the goal is to connect in the real world and to start organizing. And as each of us are doing this and building our inner cadres locally all over the world, we have lots of people who are active in Australia and India and they're just kicking ass, it's really awesome to see. And as we're building those, then you can also have the sort of next level where maybe you're in Orlando. I don't know why I'm using Orlando as an example, <laughs> but maybe you're in Orlando and you realize that, hey, there's five other freedom cells that are forming in different parts of the city. You know, It's not necessarily convenient for us to meet with them every week, but maybe you have a monthly kind of regional or citywide freedom cell conference or get together where everybody comes together and shares what their individual cells are working on and how they can collaborate or maybe there's like a massive gardening permaculture blitz around the city where all the freedom cells come together and in over a weekend they just go through different communities and help build community gardens and get people set up with seeds or you know just and I'm just giving a couple of examples here but it clearly it's a decentralized idea that can be used in so many different ways so you know there are some cells that are maybe some would consider them more like militias almost because they're focused on like how to defend themselves with firearms, with guns, and they've got emergency bags and they've got backup food and all that stuff. They're more focused on like prepping. And that's definitely one use of freedom cells. But there are also some that are just parents who want to connect and form freedom cells with other parents who want to teach their kids outside of the state education system. So that's their kind of focus of like, how can we learn more about parenting and raising our kids in different ways. And, and then there's going to be some cells that do a little bit of all of it, you know, just based on the region, the environment and people's interests. So it's been really exciting man, because like I said, the growth has been exponential. I actually, before we had this interview, I was doing a business call with some guys who, they want to help us take it to the next level. Like the website is there, it's functional, but we're a small two or three person team. And, you know, there are kinks that we're working out so that we can keep up with the interest and the growth and the scale of it. And we're going to work on creating a DAP, a decentralized app for it. And a lot of exciting things that I think will really help take it to the next level because a big part of the goal as well, you know, with us organizing and connecting on locally, but then like I was saying, you can connect on the regional level, maybe eventually on the national and international level. And the idea being that like I said earlier with the technocracy, that we start to establish a parallel network of people who can trade skills, trade resources, can barter, can purchase from each other. Maybe some freedom cells start getting into growing their own food or creating their own products. And also I would like for the map as it grows and as people really are getting use out of it, that you could essentially – use it to travel and to connect with other like minds who can plug you in where there's gonna be the good food or the underground economies or, you know, I guess with the uh, Ticketmaster doing that and having the underground shows and music festivals and everything like that, you know, just being able to use the map and the Freedom Cell network as a way to not to try to challenge them and, oh, let's go vote our people in or let's violently overthrow them, but being able to create something parallel to them that can maybe eventually challenge them Economically, but at the very least, allow for those of us who don't want to submit to their vision to still be able to live and thrive.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems very useful. I've made an account myself and checked out some of the groups in my area. And in there, you mentioned the need for connecting in the real world. And that is a whole other layer that we have to deal with because even if a person Seize the control agenda, if they recognize the technocracy, this other layer is where they have made us afraid to gather, made us afraid to see each other. And when it comes to COVID, you point out in one of your articles that the virus hasn't been isolated and there's still a lot of debate on if there even is a virus out there. Last time we talked a bit about the links people are making to 5G. Have your thoughts evolved on that at all? What is the PCR test even finding it when it denotes a positive case? And do you even see us as being at any type of risk when we gather with people or organize for new communities? I mean, this has got to be something that you've gotten past personally, at least. What would you say to some of that stuff?
2: So, yeah, I, I like you said, I've written about PCR tests and you definitely have acknowledged that there seems to be a lack of being able to isolate this virus despite what you know we've been told and honestly it reminds me just so much of the research that I've done over the years about the AIDS epidemic and things and I know anybody who's looked into that region probably knows what I'm talking about I mean clearly the creator of the PCR test Kerry Mollis he was also an HIV skeptic I guess you could say you know people might describe him in worse words in the mainstream but he was an intelligent guy who wasn't dismissible as just a conspiracy theorist at least not while he was alive So, you know, they just seem like they tried to ignore him. But during his life, him and other researchers pointed out a lot of the different discrepancies with the whole HIV situation. And here we are dealing with a lot of those same problems as it relates to COVID. And specifically with the PCR test, while I was back in the States in Houston, I had a chance to go to one of the press conferences there where the mayor and the Houston Health Authority were basically just recommending masks and all that kind of stuff. And was able to ask them about the fact that it had started to come out, not just in Texas, but other places, these issues with the PCR test to the point that one of the counties in Texas actually came out and said, we have no faith in any of these numbers. you know, And they're just pretty much saying, like, because of everything going on, we don't trust the numbers at all. And I asked the mayor and the health authority about that, and basically they did admit. Now, of course, this is not on any front pages of any newspapers in Houston, which you would think should be. Because to me, it's just like, I'm just asking basic questions from doing the research, listening to scientists who have been questioning the PCR test, including, there's a researcher and professor in the UK, I can't think of his name, but he's in my article about the PCR test. You know, so I've just been kind of listening to their information and studying, as well as what Kerry Mullis said. And the key, I think, there is this whole threshold concept, you know, where they talk about how, they call it cycle thresholds, where... The higher the cycle threshold, the more likely they're to find a positive, you know, positive thing. So when I did ask the Houston Health Authority, basically, they're like, yeah, there are some issues with the numbers, which was interesting because this came out, I think, right before the BBC and some other UK papers admitted that, and it was based on this professor, his statements, that the PCR test was leading to false positives and and all these kinds of things. But I had asked the health authority about that and said, you know, that, hey, I've heard that there's potential that this... PCR test could pick up pretty much a residue of any past disease that someone's been carrying or a virus. And I know some people, of course, don't believe in viruses at all. And, you know, I'm open to the conversation, but for the moment, let's set that aside. And Mm -hmm. so he's basically saying that what I've heard again is that this test can basically just be used to find anything. And I think that that's what many of us are realizing. So if you have been sick in the past, they can just go up to like 60 cycle thresholds and they're going to find something or the test is going to indicate that there's something there. And they go, like, yeah, look, that's a positive result. So it was interesting that the Houston Health Authority at least admitted that that was a problem. You know, he didn't really frame it as like, oh, it's some grand conspiracy going on, which I think once you really understand, you have to think about the implications. Like, okay, how come the health authority of the fourth largest city in the country of the U.S. is sitting here admitting to me, and I'm just like an independent journalist, that yeah, these tests could be leading to false positives. And there's not a national or international standard. And, you know, he he said his recommendation is it should be like 30 cycle thresholds. And apparently a lot of the tests are going up to like 40 and more. So they're going to give false positives. So I think that's a big part of the whole puzzle there is that the PCR test itself is being misused or abused. And I'm sure there are people who are aware of it to create what some have started to refer to as the case demic, right? Because it's really not about deaths anymore. It's just about, oh, we've got more cases, more cases and more cases. and Clearly, the PCR test is an essential piece of that puzzle there. And I'll give you this as well, and so I don't know what the hell COVID is. I definitely still don't believe that it's 5G. I think that in fact that that theory has only become less relevant, at least in my eyes. Now, again, and I'll just say this because somebody's going to comment and claim Mm -hmm. that I'm a 5G shill. I've done a documentary on 5G. 5G absolutely does cause harm. EMFs, all these things can over time weaken your immune system. But as I think I said last time, it's not a you get exposed to emfs and then you get cancer the next day or you fall on the ground like that's not how it works now unless there is some directed energy weapon being used and i know some people have those theories but i haven't seen the evidence then that's just not how it affects you it's a cumulative effect that builds up so you wouldn't just fall down but what i want to point to though is that if it was true then why would there even be a lull in cases in the summer right if like if it was Wuhan, which by the way, people are out partying in clubs in Wuhan now, then they haven't got rid of their 5G in any case, you know, because the whole argument at the beginning was it's this most high 5G frequency city in, in the world and they have so many towers, which is true. They definitely do. But why would those symptoms or those things just go away if that was true? So I, my position hasn't changed on that issue. And so, like I said, I don't know what it is, but let me tell you this. I got sick like two weeks ago, and I don't know what the hell it's from. I don't social distance. I don't wear masks. And where I'm at in Mexico, it's not an issue. Like, I can go to the gym. I can go to all my favorite markets and get fruits and vegetables, organic and no masks, and go out to eat with friends. And I'm not dealing with any of that stuff. So, other people are wearing their masks if they choose to, but we don't do that. But one day, like a couple of weeks ago, I just started to feel, you know, really kind of under the weather. And it was, kind of like a flu, just of course, whatever it was. And maybe it was just a flu. I don't really ever get sick though. Maybe once every couple of years. So this could have been that thing, but this was unlike any sort of flu that I've had prior to this. Like it started with like feeling dizzy and then getting headaches and then a real strong fever. And then I kind of went to bed and I didn't sleep the whole night. And this happened for like three nights in a row because my bones were hurting. No matter like which way I laid my freaking back and like I don't know if it was from my lungs because I could breathe fine. It wasn't like I was, you know, having breathing trouble, but it just, my back and my bones and everything were just hurting so badly, like inside my body, like inside my bones. And I had to temperature for a few days and it was basically that for about two or three days and just wiped me out. Like, I mean, I couldn't do anything. I could barely function. I was so exhausted and low energy and this fever. And then overnight it would just like, couldn't sleep because I had to keep turning because my bones were hurting. And then it went away after a few days, but I still had trouble. After that, for about a week, I was having real shallow breathing. I was noticing that I was kind of wheezing and just like, and I was still able to function, of course, but it was just weird. And my partner, she got it as well for only a couple of days. I had it a little bit worse than her. And, and I'm not saying it as in the sense of COVID. I don't know what the hell this was, but we just were both kind of like, you know, of course you have the moment of like, did we get that thing? You know, and, and I don't know, I don't know what it was, but I kind of, did just like any time I'm sick, I just stayed home and I got over it and I was fine and I feel totally fine now. Like you said, some people talk about that there are people who come away with whatever they're getting with long-term health effects and lung issues and things like that. I don't know. I don't know what exactly it is. I still believe that there's definitely the probability that whatever it is and however dangerous it ends up being now or maybe will become if Dark Winter is something about. A viral release like they talk about smallpox in the original dark winter exercise but I still think either way that this leans towards being some sort of biological weapon I think the evidence has come out for that even more so and so even if it's only affecting small people in some ways or just getting rid of the weak and the comorbidities and the elderly that's still accomplishing the goal of reducing the population as well as locking down the population so I don't know if I mm-hmm. answered that <laughs>
1: Well, it's a difficult thing to answer because we can acknowledge that the PCR test is wrong. We can acknowledge that the hospitals were getting incentivized to write down COVID when it wasn't. And we know that these things inflate the numbers, but then we are still stuck with, well, by how much are they inflating the numbers? What is the core danger that's out there and it is something people have to deal with when they are deciding if they want to meet a bunch of new people and organize against the technocracy because this is a third rail issue and I think if you really do a deep dive into germ theory versus terrain theory there are a lot of medical experts out there that are saying on a foundational fundamental level our concepts of our immune system Of viruses, of germs, of contagion. These things are somewhat flawed. And because Rockefeller medicine, of course, has dictated the education in the medical system, at least of the Western world in the United States, they have gotten a lot of things drilled into people's heads that might not necessarily be true. And some of the things that I found interesting is that there's an argument that people say, well, when you get the flu or you get a cold, That is our body running a program to clear out our toxic load because we're dealing with all kinds of toxins in the modern environment. And I think about that, and it is curious that when you get sick, it's generally your body aches, so you don't want to move. You need to rest. And then it's your body expelling things, whether from the mouth or the other side or the nose. It's sneezing. It's a runny nose. It's like all these... Your body is pushing things out generally through mucus and other stuff, which some people are saying are the carriers. It's like a, your body produces things that would be like a sponge that soak up the toxins and then expel them from your body. And then Rockefeller medicine makes pills to fight those symptoms, to dry up your runny nose. Well, you need the runny nose because it's taking the toxins out of your body. So, Obviously I'm not a medical expert but as I've listened to some of these people talk about this completely different paradigm it starts to make a little more sense and maybe the flu is is not like some virus or something but it it is just like a a cycle that your body goes through when its toxic load reaches a certain level and it's not like a lot of people can't be exposed to a toxin together but I'm a little more skeptical now of of someone who I'm in the room with with flu-like symptoms giving me flu-like symptoms. I don't know. It's It's very strange. And I guess I was listening to one of these health gurus, and they said it kind of comes down to, do you believe that you live in a hostile universe or a friendly one? And I know that's simplistic, but I think most of the problems that I'm worried about come from the elite rather than nature. I, it, it's strange, but these are things I think people should at least be thinking about.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I just want to add to that. Like, So I've interviewed Dr. Andrew Kaufman as well as the two authors of Is Everything You Thought You Knew About Disease Wrong? I, I'm sure I'm butchering the title. So I definitely have been exposed to this information. And, you know, one of the things that I've found is I'm not so sure that it's Germ theory versus terrain theory. Right. In some ways, I feel like they complement each other. Like I, I do obviously. I know that Rockefeller medicine is just taking us away from so much common sense about our own bodies and about how to take care of them. And I'm definitely down with that, and for sure understand that. But I think that in my mind, it seems that if terrain is describing like your physical body and the terrain, right? And if you have whether you want to call them viruses or bacteria or exosomes or Whatever, you know, if you have living things on you that exist in all of our environment, and, you know, there's the capability for some of those to get us sick, or maybe it's just even if you're living dirty yourself. So, for example, like staph, like staph can develop, you know, if you're just dirty, basically. I mean, if you start, Mm -hmm. I've known a lot of people in the past when I was using drugs, like if you're using drugs and you're not showering, you're sweating, you're not clean, you can develop a staph infection, right? And, To me, that kind of is the whole terrain idea because it's specifically directly related to how clean you are. The idea is that the staph virus or germ or whatever name you want to give it, it exists and lives inside of us already. But most people who have strong immune systems and you know are generally clean are never affected by it. But if you start to weaken your immune system, say by using a lot of drugs and also are not that clean, then you can develop something like that. So my point here is I feel like they kind of they might not necessarily have to be that no germs or whatever names you want to give them exist and also that we shouldn't just ignore the role that clearly that our health plays and that our just our being plays and again that it does make sense to me that just like we see in nature where the environment the natural environment both like the plants the animals the trees the soil is so interconnected that when something is off balance The animals, or the plants, or the soil, or the environment will make changes to try to accommodate to bring things back into equilibrium. And we are very much, as you know, a part of nature. And so it doesn't. For me, it wouldn't be so surprising to see, like, look, our bodies are replicating natural systems and natural order that is playing out around us. So, yeah, I'm definitely like not closed off the idea. And this whole thing, I think, for many of us, has allowed us to kind of revisit. And I know that I definitely have never. Use my journalistic and research tools to dive so much into understanding science as I have over the last 10 or 11 months you know I've done research and videos and articles on like fluoride and how does that affect the brain and vaccines and some of these other areas but like as a whole and kind of like revisiting the scientific method and it's really been pretty awesome but at the same time insane that we have to even ask these questions because of how backwards everything is
1: Yes, I'm right there with you. And I think that book you're talking about is What Really Makes You Ill by Don Lester and David Parker. Exactly. People I interviewed. And yes, I agree. It is not an either or thing. It's probably like an 80-20 thing or terrain theory comes first because if you armor yourself up, then less things can hurt you. But it is just something that people need to wrestle with when they're deciding how comfortable they are. Uh, Meeting new people and starting these communities, because I think we kind of have to be a little bit fearless. And it seems like there might be worse things out there than uh, than COVID-19. And if we let that fear take hold of us, then we really will just acquiesce to all these control measures. And it is a, a really empowering thing when you even start to break through that foundation of germ theory with People like Kaufman and Don Luster and David Parker, even if you still leave the door open, it's pretty empowering to take your health into your own hands to feel responsible for it. But it can also be quite scary because then people have to really address some of the things they are doing, living in a electromagnetic soup, eating from the drive through, like If you really are going to adopt this uh, idea that the terrain is very, very important and maybe more important than the germ, then that's a lot of personal responsibility you also have to face.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is a good point to make because, I mean, for me, it ultimately all of these kind of things and whether we're talking about the technocracy or freedom cells or you're talking about your health, that it all comes down to personal responsibility because I think the further we get away from personal responsibility, the easier it is for people to kind of clamor for this is why we need government, or we need to increase government, or we need them in our lives, because it feeds into that whole narrative. I mean, I guess that we're still children, and we're not able to take care of ourselves. And maybe some people are, but I think many of us are perfectly capable of taking care of ourselves and and recognize that. So the more that we live that, and this again goes back to freedom cells and how you're going to survive without the technocracy, start taking personal responsibility for your life. Because when you do that, when you Realize that okay, I've got food put away, or I'm growing food, or I'm a part of community garden, or I'm just learning skills on my own, or you know, whatever it may be, then you're coming from a place of empowerment as opposed to a place of like a scarcity mindset and fear and what am I gonna do if this happens. No, you've started to get some plans and some resources for your family. You start to network with other people in your community and kind of have a plan of how you guys can help each other if things, you know, go a little bit awry, and like you just start putting the pieces together. When you have that experience, which is just taking personal responsibility for your own life and encouraging others to do the same, it's so much more of an empowering and strengthening experience as opposed to facing what we're facing now and feeling like I'm totally dependent or stuck on the system, which some people are, and not necessarily by choice. I recognize that some people have 401ks and mortgages and three or four kids and a house and all that, and those are things that I don't have, and so. I'm just in a different position. And I can kind of try to leverage my freedom to live the life that I want and try to, you know, live in line with my values. But no matter what position you're in, I know for a fact that each of us can take steps, whether they're small or large, towards getting towards our goals and to be free from these systems.
1: Mm -hmm. Very well said. Very well said. I really appreciate your time, man. And As we're wrapping this up, you know, last time you did say we have two options, hold down the fort or exit and build. And you mentioned that you have made that choice to exit and build. You're down there in Mexico. Is that what Operation Underground Railroad is, is attracting more people there? I saw you use that term, but you didn't mention it earlier, and so I thought I'd at least take a second to ask you what that was
0: about.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. And thank you again for having me back on. I really do respect your work and I appreciate how dedicated your audience is to to your content. So I'm happy to be among the audience and to be a guest as well. Operation Underground Railroad is basically just the terminology that I'm using for, and I think I might've mentioned this last time, that in the book, how to opt out of the technocratic state, in addition to talking about the ideas of exiting and building or holding down the fort, I also discussed that I believed eventually, I didn't realize how soon, that there would be a need for kind of a modern Underground Railroad to form again. And clearly, for those who understand the the Underground Railroad, the original one in the slavery days, they were helping slaves escape from fugitive slave law and from just harsh treatment, of course, and being owned by another human being, not only to Canada, but down to Mexico as well. And so I Started to think about not only like what does it look like to be a free person and to be an agorist, the philosophy I promote with this digital panopticon, but how are people going to respond to it? And again, some people will hold down the fort and they'll build in their communities and they'll really try to keep awareness alive and do what they can. Some people will exit to a more free area and build there. But how do we connect those people? You know, what happens if somebody decides that they've been holding down the fort and it's just not getting better or plans didn't work out and they need to get somewhere to one of these free communities that we've been talking about, these networks of communities. And Operation Underground Railroad is kind of the beginning of the establishing of that. And basically, if anybody is interested in getting down to Mexico, I said this before the election to people like, hey, we did a one successful caravan so far. Me and my partner went back to Houston. We had people coming from all around the US. We ended up with like a six car caravan and they met in Houston and we helped them get to the border, help them get across the border, which can be confusing if you've never driven across and if you don't speak Spanish, it can be confusing and just, you know, so we helped them with that process and then from there, people kind of go their different ways. Some people have their own plans or friends or family they're visiting and others Followed us down to where we are in the city that we're in, and we've kind of helped them find their own houses or apartments to be in while they're. Some are going to be here for maybe a couple of weeks while they're watching what potentially might happen with all this dark winter talk. Others are thinking more long term and kind of looking to find their own land or property. And then some of them are people that we are actively working with to build a community with. So, yeah, that's what we're calling Operation Underground Railroad. And and if anybody is interested in that, the email is OPURR at protonmail.com and we have definitely just like with freedom cells been getting a resurgence and interest in this and so we're hoping to do another caravan probably towards the end of the year and just help some more people come down who want to come down and yeah so it's an exciting time man it's i'm just trying to do what I can to help other people with all this going down just in case something does get dicey you know and yourself and anybody that you know and love and trust are definitely welcome to come take a vacation or a short trip down to Mexico if it feels like the time
1: (laughs) very cool I'm not far from the border so I might take you up on that just to see what's going on down there and take a break from it all but Uh, So many guests have talked about this, this big fork in the road that we are faced with. And so many of us focus on where the elite want to take us. And we forget to focus on where we can go ourselves. So we're very lucky to have you out there fighting the good fight, providing the rest of us with a lot of good resources to share with our unconventional friends and family and showing us the way to a life outside the system. Of course, the Conscious Resistance dot com is the central hub anything else to leave them with link wise
2: just freedomcells.org definitely if people want to check out freedom cells and and other than that yeah theconsciousresistance.com, man thank you again
1: awesome and thank you you are the man i appreciate it and take care out there thank you brother all right guys how about that Derek bros back so soon cool guy i'm lucky to know him And I'm happy to hear that he's still getting feedback from this audience from his last appearance. I thought we had a good time then, and he's churning out so much good stuff now, there was definitely enough to talk about. Truth is, I've gotten a really surprising amount of emails over the last three or four weeks asking me what my election coverage would be, and I find that kind of (laughs) strange. Like, what else is there to really say? It is what it is, but some people really do just get their news through a lot of our guests, I suppose, from what I'm told. So I thought, well, if I'm going to have anyone here to really focus on the election, let's go with Dr. Joseph Farrell. So we booked a show for a week after election night because I figured it would take that long for there really to be anything significant to talk about, which was largely true. But he had to pull out at the last minute, and I was planning to hit up Derek for another go anyway, so I think it lined up pretty well, I think, and Derek was great about helping me out on short notice. Though I did end up rescheduling with Dr. Farrell just a couple days later, so I'll roll that one out next. It was nice to hear a bit more about Freedom Cells. Some people who wrote in after the last time Derek was here were pretty vocal about that resource being A huge help to them in finding local groups, and they wished it would have got more airtime, so it was nice to hear that from them and also be able to comply with that request. But Derek is just a really solid researcher. He's meticulous. He doesn't just run with things. He considers it very important to be accurate. I consider him a champion of the New Guard when it comes to alternative or true journalism, I guess we should just say. He's right up there with Whitney Webb and the dude who runs the last American Vagabond. In fact, they are all friends. And I want to be their friends too, right? But you know, around here, I definitely love me some over-the-top sensationalism now and then. Just like humor, sometimes you go too far, but there's still truth in there and it's entertaining. And it's just maybe something that jives with my personality, But right now, especially, we also really need respectable journalists that are fearless and focused on looking forward towards solutions and making really great arguments with their data and their research. I mean, if Derek Brose is talking about quarantine camps, I take it a bit more seriously than if, say, Alex Jones is. So, a little bit intense. But this is also the first mention of Ticketmaster requiring a COVID vaccine confirmation to go to concerts. And it's the first open signal that this compliance is going to come through companies that we want to do business with, or for some people, work at. The government, per se, isn't policing individuals. They're just telling businesses, hey, do this, this, and this, or we'll shut you down. And we're going to see these big, monopolistic corporations making those first moves because I can't imagine mom-and-pop shops can afford to make such demands after a year of business barely trickling in as it is. I don't know if they're really looking to limit their customers to just the vaccinated. Maybe they are. I'm sure it varies. Fear does crazy things to people. But yeah, you know, I I have kind of gone back and forth on COVID coverage around here. There's been times where I've looked at the guests we've had and the research that's been presented and thought, well, what more do we need to say? I don't want to beat a dead horse. And there were times in the summer where at least in my circle, it didn't seem that big of a deal and I expressed not wanting to just drive it all right into the ground and make sure we have plenty of non-COVID-related shows as well. But now, (laughs) I'm sensing a real level change to this stuff, and it might require us focusing on it a bit more. Hopefully from several different angles, I can never control what a guest says, but I am being pretty careful with my selections. It just seems like the stakes are too high to be quiet. We should focus on the solutions side of things and reiterate why people shouldn't freak out too much, but we need good resources and good arguments so we can bring more of the people we love to our side of the fence. Talking to David Icke might not do that right now, although it's good for my numbers, and as much as I love the guy, try approaching a non-conspiratorial person with, David Icke made a good point the other day about COVID-19, you know, he's burnt. He's only speaking to the converted, although he does it quite well. But Derek might be a resource for you that people will respond to. I'm trying to be strategic, that's all, and give you good tools. So add the conscious resistance to your daily reads if you haven't already. Share their articles. They are high quality. In higher side news, I'm going to have company here for Thanksgiving week, and I have a show to record, and I have one more to get out this month, So I'm not sure I'll get a joint session done until a few days after my guests leave. It might be the first week of December rather than the last week of November. But that's good because if you remember back in the early days of the show, I used to have a voicemail set up and I'd play calls before an episode. Well, I brought that voicemail back for the joint sessions. Now we can break it up a little bit. It's not just me reading a bunch of stuff. Listeners can contribute and do it on their own time when they feel comfortable. You can find the voicemail on the bottom of any page on the THC website, or just go to thehiresidechats.com slash voicemail. I think it's going to add a lot to these joint sessions, because I really liked those old messages. It's way better if it's you guys talking and not just me. So if the forum isn't your style, maybe the voicemail is. Help me out. Let's throw some content in there so I have some good things to pull from and we'll have some fun. If you're missing the joint session episodes, they're a good time, and they're more THC news and listener-focused casual inner circle bonus shows, and if you're a fan, I think they're interesting. Become a Plus member, and they can be all yours. But the main reason, of course, to become a Plus member is to get that second hour of these here interviews. In today's, I talked to Derek about where we're seeing the strictest controls on the planet right now, and what to watch for when it comes to those things coming to where we live, the importance of the years 2025 and 2030, Derek's thoughts on what truly motivates the predator class, UFOs, ether physics, Tesla technology, and building back better for real, the Vatican sex trial happening right now, a recent international report on Bill Gates, Kratom? You know, people have written to say that THC was a big part of their recovery from pretty harsh drugs, which is crazy, and I'm happy that that's true. Kratom seems to be a resource for people in that situation, so I wanted to give it a little bit of time. And then, of course, we talked about the recent YouTube purge and some of the new alternatives that are out there. And in that section, I was trying to articulate the difficulty in building up these alternatives to YouTube because it's only the controversial creators, which makes a controversial community. Because there's just no need to put up videos like The Mandalorian Season Finale Explained or musical cover songs or Top 10 Taco Stands in San Diego. I mean, those things are fun. I watch videos like that but they aren't going to get kicked off YouTube. They actually contribute to the cultivating of that more general audience that these alternatives are going to have a tough time attracting. And if they don't attract a more general audience, then we are just preaching to the already converted counterculture. You know what I mean? That is the issue with things like BitChute and Parlor. In fact, every alternative quickly gets a bad reputation as an alt-right place or an extreme place. And yes, that is propaganda. That is damage control from the big machine and trying to ruin the reputations of thousands of creators making millions of videos with that simple dismissal. But it is going to be a challenge. <sighs> well, heavy stuff today, but I hope you guys had an all right time. We try to keep it positive. It's just hard. It's hard to be positive and also honest about what's going on out there. So I think it's time to really start preparing for the road ahead and not just listening to provocative interviews. These aren't just theories anymore. That's pretty high stakes stuff. I hope you're all taking good care of the people around you and being the calm in the storm. Until next time, I've done my part. Your move, Freedom and Sisters and Quarantine Camp Resisters. Your fucking move
0: well they tie that yellow ribbon round the oak tree they've worn